Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Mandy Smith, originally from Australia. She's lead pastor of University Christian Church, a campus and neighborhood congregation with its own fair trade cafe in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's also the author of several books, most recently The Vulnerable Pastor, and she's a friend. I give you Mandy Smith. Mandy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. It's great to have you on, and it's for this last Sunday of Advent. And I feel like last time I had you on, I, I had this like bio reveal about you and your ordination and your husband's oh, yeah. wedding day. It went in and that direction, didn't it? That was wonderful. Uh, it was mm-hmm. such a... So if, if there's anything else interesting you want to tell us about yourself. And I, also, by the mm-hmm. way, I did call Sunday morning. I read from Isaiah, not you Isaiah. You did call I said, it Isaiah? I said Isaiah. I like it. You're representing the British portions of the globe, I suppose. Absolutely. (laughs) So anything you want to tell us interesting about yourself before we just get into the text? Goodness. I wanted to be a fashion designer and I won an award for that in high school, which is not what I guess people might expect would be true of a pastor, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. I find that completely easy to believe about you because I think you're very (laughs) stylish. I'm very stylish. Yeah, you've got to suppress that a little bit when you're a pastor, sadly. You've got to kind of tone it down a notch a little bit. Yeah, you have a stylish vibe about you. What would you say if somebody suddenly sprang that on you? Although I dare say that you probably have lots of things waiting in the wings that are um, surprising and interesting things about you, Scott. If I was 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 interviewing right now, the, the host of this podcast, and I said that to you, what would you say? I'd say probably karaoke DJ. Oh, that's not surprising, though. I also think that it's one of the most Christian things I've ever done because people like generally I find that do karaoke stuff, they are generally really for you, like mm-hmm. whether or not you're good or bad or, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're usually cheering you on. And so like, I, I always feel like it's a good picture of what the church sometimes is and always ought to be like where you're kind of the crowd's cheering you on, no matter mm-hmm. if it's your best day or your worst day. Mm, that's nice. I've never been in the karaoke scene, so I'll have to take your word for that. I will I will take you karaoke someday. I promise. <laughs> that would be fun. All right, Mandy, our first passage is Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 16, and then you have here you have the Lord through Isaiah speaking to Ahaz and I guess basically the Assyrians look very fierce. Mm. And there's this alliance of with the northern kingdom of Israel and some other folks, and they ask Judah through Ahaz to kind of join in, and he doesn't want to join in. He wants to kind of go not offend the Assyrians, and then Isaiah kind of rebukes him for being for not having faith, and he says, um, it's interesting because he, he, he says, I don't want to sign. I think mm. it's pious, but it's not pious. It's more like real politic. Like, I don't want to be responsible. Like, I don't... So he says they're going to get this sign anyway, and the sign is this young woman who'll be with child and bear a son, and she'll name Emmanuel. And, and by the time he knows how to, I guess, refuse evil and choose the good, he's, he develops, uh, before the child knows this, the land before whose two kings you're in dread will be 
deserted. So it's this mm. sort of prophecy of the of the downfall of the Northern Kingdom and their allies. So it's very mm. interesting. And of course, the young woman, some older translations say virgin, mm-hmm. and this has been a traditional sort of prophetic mm. text with overtones and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if it's even you know, there's often question about who is this woman? Is it the king's wife? Is it Isaiah's wife? I'm I'm saying it like, you know, Isaiah's wife. Um, but in a way, I think it's more a sense of it doesn't matter so much whose wife it is, but that, that as surely as this kind of time passes, um, the time that it takes for a young woman to have a child and bear them um, and for that child to then learn good and evil, what, you know, some of us might have said, three years time, you know, but this is a nice way to say like, as surely as those things are happening all the time, whoever is currently with child, by the time those children are at that stage, and as surely as they will get to that stage, this thing is going to take place. Um, And I'm sure that it's very, I think it's quite beautiful because as much as it's hard to imagine a child once you're, when you're actually pregnant, you can't yet see this thing that uh, I guess a pregnancy is a promise in a way that something is about to happen and it's hard to imagine this life could really burst from this bump, especially for them. They didn't have scans and stuff, you know. As surely as this this one situation is going to turn into another situation, God's providence and protection will be revealed. God's promises will be shown. Um, Yeah, I mean, maybe it's more of a spiritual thing to have that as a particular person. it feels more like a sign maybe if it's a particular person. But either way, I think I like the kind of certainty of it that this thing is already in the works. God's already got this person in mind and this this action in mind. Mandy, let me tell you, you have agreed with my favorite exegete on these passages. So. There you go. I'm not your favorite exegete? Well, oh, you are. I mean, you, uh, <laughs> Benedict the Sixteenth. There um, you go. I was just chatting with him. The Pope, uh, former Pope, Pope Emeritus, he writes this great little monograph on the infancy narratives. And he says basically what you say. He said, you know, this, this, he's quoting something. He says, the, mo- the mother and child were made a mystery, at least to the modern reader, but probably also to the hmm. contemporary audience, to the, to the modern reader, but also probably to the contemporary audience, perhaps even to the prophet himself. He might not even know hmm. who the, who the child is. And then, but then he says, so what are we to say? This passage about, the woman who gives birth to Emmanuel, like the great suffering servant song in Isaiah 53, is a word in waiting. There's a nothing. A word in waiting. I like that. He said, there's nothing in its own historical context to correspond to it. So it remains an open question. It's addressed not merely to Ahaz, nor distressed merely to Israel. It's addressed to humanity. And then he goes on to say, you know, that should Christians not hear this word as their own? And he summarizes this one scholar who says, the prophet's prediction is like a miraculously formed keyhole into which mm. the key of Christ fits perfectly. I like that. Nice. And I, and I wonder how much all of our lives are like that. These m- mysterious things in our lives that happen mm. for strange reasons and mm. their meaning is, you know, opaque to us, right? It just, it, and then it somehow, it, those words in waiting in our lives become the keyhole into which Christ fits. I like it. Mm. Very nice. On to Romans, the first chapter, uh, this opening of this great letter, which, you know, 
I mean, many people look at this as like Paul's magnum opus or his dissertation or something. I mean, I don't think that's probably the way to read it, but but it is this. It's got a grand beginning, at least. It does have a grand beginning, though. Yeah, this he's the servant of Jesus Christ, which I love this. He promised beforehand through his prophets, you know, mm-hmm. concerning the son who is descended according from David, according to the flesh, son of God with power, um, and who, you know, we've received grace and apostleship. And he addresses it to all God's beloved in Rome who are called his saints. Mm. You can really hear him getting himself worked up, you know. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You can tell that he wasn't writing it because he couldn't possibly have, his hand couldn't have kept up <laughs> with his with his words. And I remember, it's been a long time since I've been in Greek class, but I'd never enjoyed trying to translate Paul because his sentences are so convoluted. But um, in a reading sense, it's like, this is not a good sentence, but in a speaking sense, it's the kind of thing we hear all the time from preachers and passionate people who just just kind of work themselves up into you know building. He's he's obviously building this image of the the ground that he stands upon and um, the power behind the words and the great history behind um, the calling that he's received and 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 then once he declares this grace and peace, it's not just his words, but but this history of of uh, promising beforehand and prophets and David and the Son of God and Jesus and his partnership in all of that. Just I think it just builds to this great crescendo, you know. So um, it feels like there's a lot of a lot of words, but all building to something that just doesn't say like, "Hey, how are you?" <laughs> you know. Or, yeah, and you know, it's interesting you say that because I was reading something earlier today that I, I never thought about this. This one commentator said that Paul never uses the word church here in the intro. Mm. Uh, he uses he t- he uses words that if the whole thing is trying to unite Jewish and Gentile believers in the heart of the you know known world at the time, Rome, he has things that would be tip hat tips to the Jews, like David mm. according to mm-hmm. the flesh, you know. It's, the the uh, saints, you know, the holy ones, and then he also says, you know, the spirit of holiness and and, and um, obedience to the Gentiles, and you who are being called. So he he figures all these ways to talk about mm. these this community that's probably experiencing t- some division around the sort of what Scott McKnight calls the strong, uh, the weak party, which are the Gentiles, and weak by meaning that like their faith doesn't give them the liberty to sort of relativize certain of the Torah commandments and stuff, and the and the strong party of which Paul is kind of with their convictions, although he's often defending the weak as well. But they're the people that have said, "Hey, things have been relativized a bit in Christ or in culture," and and you see him probably. I think you're right about the getting worked up to try to talk in ways that the whole time are cognizant of the whole and their unity in Christ. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of I I actually read these passages to prepare for this by listening to them, which I love to do. And um, one of the times I did that, I was actually waking up from a nap. <laughs> there are many listeners who, if you came out with uh, the MSV, the Mandy Smith version on audio, everybody would buy it. <laughs> people love your voice. We'll just say, like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Long. Oh, I'd love to do that. Um, but mine is actually read. I've told you about this, haven't I? I listen. Bible Gateway has... Um, a whole bunch of different audio Bibles, and I'm very particular about such things. I don't want any, like, dramatization or music, and um, the reading has to be just right. And my favorite one is by David Suchet. I've told you this, haven't I? No. 
Oh, he's the guy. If anybody out there listens or watches um, PBS, if you watch Poirot, Agatha Christie, um, the actor who plays Poirot is actually a believer and he um, read the whole Bible. Um, his name is David Suchet, S-U-C-H-E-T, and he's on um, – his reading is on Bible Gateway. So I just listen to him all the time. And in fact, sometimes if I if my husband walks in when I'm listening to David, he's like, all right, <laughs> having some time with David. <laughs> um, so, but I'm actually listening to the Bible. It's not because I'm a fan of his or anything. Um, anyway, he, um, so reading, re- listening to the Bible when you're waking up from a particularly delicious nap on a chilly afternoon is a really um, interesting invitation into kind of receiving something. The fact that you're not towering over the book and kind of, you know, as students of the Bible, we are taught to dissect it. And when you're lying still and listening to it, it's doing the work for you. And it just built upon all of this is coming back to the passage here, but this Romans passage and the Matthew one as well, right before the passage in the lectionary has this building as well of the um, genealogy. And so this this thought, both of them kind of bear in mind, and I guess to even the prophecy part of, of Isaiah of like things happening over a really long period of time that God has been working all of these things that somehow were in Ahaz's story and... Um, that then ties into Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, and the Virgin in his story, and and Paul, so, you know, a servant descending from David is mentioned there, and then Matthew's um, kind of lineage unpacks and mentions Ahaz in there. That's all coming towards this baby Jesus. That there was just all these little pieces tying together and thinking about. Um, this promise from Isaiah of um, that ultimately God is doing this, you know, and when you've just woken up from a nap and you're reading these passages, it's a beautiful feeling of even when we mess it up, like all uh, David himself, you know, was not the perfect man by any means. Paul, you know, comes from killing God's people. And um, so it's just, a, it was all came together for me just thinking of that rest that ultimately God is faithful. The people of Judah were not always faithful. Paul himself got it wrong. David was not always faithful. And yet somehow all this story came together um, over the many centuries, things that we don't even think about, the ground that we stand upon now um, that's just been woven for us up until this moment so that we could know the story of Jesus so it was a um, a nice reminder that it's not all up to us and that even when we do get it wrong, God is still able to weave his story and, and answer his, provide his promises, you know. I, I think you're so right about that. And I think, you know, I, my wife and I have our tickets for Star Wars, the last movie. Mm. And When does that come out? At like eight days or something. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I always think about this. Like, I remember the first Star Wars movie, which is really, I guess, episode four, but uh, where Luke wants to go to learn how to fly Imperial fighters or whatever. And they say that he's, he has to stay there on Tatooine. And all of a sudden, as he's talking with his aunt and uncle, you hear this do, 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 failing. <laughs> and I feel like it's the George Lucas telling us that this mm. looks like just a family squabble mm. on a desert planet in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And yet this is the whole cosmic struggle with the cosmos is mm. is is 
has to do with this fight with this late adolescent boy and his and then they say that he has too much of his father in him, right? Mm, and, the, and nice. the redemption of Darth Vader and all Anakin Skywalker and all that stuff. And I think the Bible is so much like that, right? And 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 they didn't hear the music. They didn't hear they didn't know when the music was playing or when it I wasn't. I love that. Right? The little yeah. theme that just keeps popping up. Yeah, but that redem that that music of redemption that says, you know, all this stuff in in our own lives, right? We never know where it's playing or mm. or, or we're 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 being in the forefront of the story in ways we couldn't imagine. And, Maybe we can only be told later. Yes. On to Matthew. Which I just foreshadowed. You just foreshadowed. You're like a prophet. (laughs) Quite literally. (laughs) Uh, Matthew 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. Here... I love Matthew says, no, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. And he talks about Mary being engaged. And when he found, you know, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, which is interesting because no one else knew that. Right. He kind of like, oh, she was like, oh, she was. But of course, everybody thought she probably mm-hmm. slept with somebody else or. And well, obviously, everyone thought she slept with somebody else. And Joseph, being a righteous man, was, you know, wanted to not disgrace her and put dismiss her quietly. And when he was going to do this. The angel of the Lord came and, and said, this is from, this child's from the spirit and, and he'll bear a son, um, you know, the name of Jesus, he'll save the people from their sins. And, and then Matthew puts in the prophet, mm-hmm. the, the Isaiah prophet, you know, and, and Jesus did, or Joseph did what the angel commanded him. Uh, mm. And they didn't have marriage relations until uh, the, the son Jesus was born. It's a beautiful passage. It is. Yeah, it's almost like a new Adam and Eve here, like mm-hmm. where whereas Adam and Eve ha, like failed when everything was in their corner, right? Like mm-hmm. Mary, Mary and Joseph, like it, this is not easy for them, you mm-hmm. know. Like even all the miraculous births generally bring esteem to the parents, right? Not mm-hmm. shame, mm-hmm. but this is the ultimate miraculous birth, right? In the Old Testament, it, not just a a natural conception out of season or something, but mm-hmm. this is a virgin birth, a real, right. and yet the 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 greatest miraculous birth provide you know brings scandal and shame to them, mm-hmm. grace to the world, but scandal and shame immediately to them. Mm, what an interesting thing! Like you said, I mean, it's quite a personal thing, her virginity, and really they have no way to prove that it was the spirit. And so, while it's such a beautiful miracle, if you choose to believe it, it still is a stretch to. To believe, and so even back then, one of the most miraculous parts of this birth was also potentially one of the most scandalous parts. But um, yeah, I've been thinking so much about Mary this week, and she she really is my hero. I think of all the characters in the Bible, um, and she's often depicted as this kind of demure person. And so I've seen a few things shared on Facebook recently that show her as this kind of throw down the rich kind of activist, which I like as well because I know her Magnificat is quite revolutionary in some ways, but she is not herself. She's not claiming her own power. You know, she is redefining power really by even just being willing to host this thing. And so I think the most um, powerful and inspiring and amazing thing about her is that she bears this power 
by setting aside her own power. You know, she has to become like a child in order to welcome the child and for this miracle that all mankind has been waiting for to take place in her very body, you know, and affecting her potential relationship with her future husband, with her family, with her whole um, neighborhood and culture. Um, she's willing, she has to be willing to say, yes, let it be unto me, you know, and, and even the, I was actually with a bunch of mums this morning, every Thursday morning, I have a prayer group and, um, they come and one's usually nursing and one's cleaning up spilled Cheerios and, you know, all this is just kind of chaotic, but these women, that, those um, are the people I'd want praying for me. You're oh, they're the group. best. The magical things happen in church basements with people that nobody else cares about, you know, and, um, do, 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 yeah, do, yeah. What's that theme I hear. <laughs> so, um, you know, at the end of the time together, they were, they'd all been sharing things that they were willing to host in themselves, you know, ways they're caring for their children or, or navigating issues in their families or trying to be good neighbors or, um, figuring out how God is faithful in their lives. Um, and just bearing those together with other mums and, um, I just thought of this like capacity, I guess, that Mary had to say yes to something that was probably terrifying and mystifying and um, very had very personal ramifications physically for her, socially for her, and then the the promise that a, a sword would pierce her side too, you know, that um, her heart was going to be broken by this. But um I, rem- I remember that this morning with these mums of, of that capacity and even the capacity she had to treasure these things in her heart. I mean, that's a big heart <laughs> that can that can bear all of this, that can say yes to all of this and say, let this thing be born in me. Um, and, and, so, and, and knowing the stories that are going to be told about the little bastard Jesus behind, mm, whispering behind her back. Like, yeah. Not, no, it, but they not knowing that, no, that's not the story that's going to be told. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be the greatest story ever told. Yeah. But but she's got, you know, all these readings are about faith, right? Like this, you know, faith, mm. you know, believing in the thing to come. Like, and it, it's a beautiful, you know, I also just think like um, Karl Barth, who's, you know, one of my favorite, if not my favorite theologian outside of Mandy Smith. But, <laughs> um, you know, he was trying to, reclaim and re-understand orthodoxy in the modern world. And one of his friends who we had a deep falling out with, Emil Bruner, they disagreed about a lot of things. And But they were both trying to reclaim this sort of, especially Reformation kind of orthodoxy and belief in a real God in, in a modern world. And Bruner said, there's no virgin birth. Come on. Like, And Bart said, no. I mean, Bart said, look, the mystery is not the, vir- the virgin birth. The mystery is the incarnation. And God could have had the incarnation with that. But God chose to give us this sign in and with the mystery, and you can't separate them. And the sign tells us that just what you were saying, like so much of having children in human history is will to power, the will to extend ourselves, our story. And all that's in this story is receptivity from Joseph or Mary. It's not Joseph building his household. It's it's Mary giving up her reputation and dignity and the whispers. And all this is like this big story of justification by grace and faith, you know, that, that even in the way the redeemer comes into the world is the sign of how, you know, the way the kingdom starts is the way the kingdom begins in, again in each person, right? It's this sort of creation ex nihilo, you know, it's, it, it's out of nothing, out of, out of new beginnings. And it's a beautiful, um, there's so much rich there to just meditate on. I love it. I'm just reminded, someone this week, um, actually I think I was reading a book by Deb Hirsch, and she talks about 
letting the seed be planted in us, which is a Romans thing as well. And she actually says, like, we are being invited to let God impregnate us, which is a very strange <laughs> um, image, especially if you're a man, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, but uh, I think that Mary, I, I, uh, I've read recently that in the Catholic faith, they often call Mary the first disciple because she's the first to say yes to Jesus. And in the catechism, the last Catholic catechism, they put Mariology in ecclesiology because they say the church starts with Mary. She's the, mm. she's the, she's the, she's the normative Christian. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually, I totally get that. And um, if we're to be like her, then that means we have to let God plant something in us. And that's, kind of strange language we wouldn't usually think of it that way i guess it's, it's nicer to think our hearts are soil and and the gospel is the seed or whatever but but i love the image of the impregnation because it's this image of the child being carried in each of us that jesus actually is embodied in our bodies and um, even though the impregnation image might be weird for us there's also this beautiful possibility that it, it's not just a plant growing in us <laughs> but a but a person of Jesus. Yeah, and I think of that painting, I'll put it in the show notes, but that picture of Mary and Eve embracing and stepping on the serpent. And I, mm -hmm. I imagine them in the kingdom, Mary saying, it must have been so hard on you. Like you were mm -hmm. the first, you navigating this world. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, the two Eves, like yeah, I love that. embracing. I would love I mean, to add the bride of Christ into that picture. Yeah. Well, that's all of us. Yeah, exactly. It's a big selfie. It's a big Mary, Eve and Mary could turn with, with an iPhone and say, all right, everybody, everybody, the whole multitudes, all right, everybody, get the selfie. Yeah. we're included. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Manny, yeah, thank you for doing this, as always. It's been fun. You're all, you're the best. You Benedict, the best. Carl Bart, and, and, and Mandy Smith. I'm right up the, there. The, the Holy Trinity of exegesis. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Mandy for coming on the podcast, and thanks to you again for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.